It doesn't take a PhD in econ to look around at just a smattering of fitness industry news from the past few years and understand that things have changed around here. Go ahead, Google it. We will wait. The fact of the matter is that regardless of how shitty and challenging the past few years, that's right, I said shitty. The past few years have been one thing remains true. The nerd in me is extremely excited that we've been collecting consumer data on fitness habits and spending. So we have the data that shows just how quickly things really did change these past few years. We'll be breaking down our state of fitness survey and its results all month. One thing that I will talk about to anyone who will listen is the idea of behavior change. It's a fact that behavior change is extremely hard, but it is the underlying principle that drives the fitness industry. Fitness is a good habit, and if you make it enjoyable, it's more likely to be adopted by more consumers. The consumers are then happy and healthy and making friends. The businesses flourish, right? Great, foolproof. Anyway, I want to talk about behavior change in two contexts. One, how people adopt healthy habits, and two, consumer behavior change on a macro scale. Okay, first of all, let's talk about habit adoption. We all know the stats around New Year's resolutions. Most people make them and drop them by February, and it's not because we don't want to adopt the habits we set out to adopt. It's because we are creatures of habit operating on autopilot. From one of my favorite podcasts, Hidden Brain, about 43% of everyday actions are done repeatedly, almost every day in the same context. So knocking someone out of autopilot to do something new takes change in motivation and depending on the human, some sort of reward. Okay, now let's talk about mass adoption of trends, AKA consumer behavior change. Think making one person change their behavior is hard. How about making a full planet of humans change their behavior? COVID created a Petri dish wherein our habits were turned off. We couldn't go to the office. We couldn't go to the gym. Childcare was non-existent. That left the human race open for something new. Here's what McKinsey had to say on that. When consumers are surprised and delighted, I think here with COVID, we can say just surprised (laughs) by new experiences, even long held beliefs can change, making consumers more willing to repeat the behavior even when the trigger, in this case, the COVID-19 pandemic, is no longer present. In other words, this is a unique moment in time during which companies can reinforce and shape behavioral changes to position their products and brands better for the next normal. So the data we're talking about this month will dig into what changed And this week specifically, we're talking about the financial side of it all, money. Joining me today is Kelly Matkovich, who leads our community, and Dana Farber, who runs Moonstone Marketing and works with the Spotlight on content strategy and social media. Dana also used to work in boutique fitness for years, so she has unique perspectives on all of this. We've all been working on the state of fitness for months, so we're going to have a lot to say. But before we say all of that, what's good? Dana's here with me right next to me today. So Dana, let's start with you. What's good, Dana? Well, today is my birthday, so that is my good thing. Of course, I'm spending it podcasting and talking about money and fitness. And after this, I'm going to spend that money on a massage because self-care is my favorite form of fitness. (laughs) (laughs) Love it. I actually realized really recently that I say I love it a lot. I track what other people say either on podcasts or in phone conversation. So if anyone is tracking how often I say I love it, please just tell me and send me a breakdown. Okay, Kelly, what's good? I think most people say, I hear on podcasts say, love it. I love or it. Or 100%. Love it's like 100% everything. 100%. I love it. No peace. <laughs> um, and I'm kind of jealous that you two are together, especially seeing you together. I'm like, I want to be there. I know. We miss you, Kelly. <laughs> I'll be back in March. So we'll hang. Hey, um, this is on in March. So oh, yeah. Now. 
We yeah. might all three be in the same room together as you all are listening whoa, to this. Whoa, 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 whoa. Future self is very excited. <laughs> Time loop. Uh, so my what's good, so I already told Gina this, this morning because we tell each other what's good every single morning. Um, so Dana, this is new to you and to the listeners, but my friend Mary um, gave birth to a child this morning and yesterday it was a scheduled um, C-section. So yesterday we took her out to the hot springs and we had pizza and we just had like a day to hang out. Well, it was afternoon to hang out together. So it was so cute. I loved it. That's such a great idea. Yeah. Yay for scheduled C-sections. <laughs> Love it. <laughs> Way to plan ahead. Yeah, you really get to have mom's last day of freedom. Plan right. it. Go out there. I'm so sorry to all moms listening. None of us are moms. So if that was offensive, <laughs> don't cancel me. I'm really sorry. I'm really sorry. You can if you want. I don't care. Um, okay. My good thing. Um, so before we started podcasting, I was talking to Dana about if you're watching these two little piercings in the middle of my ear. My good thing is my, I got two little piercings from Rowan, um, which is popping up all over the country to have RNs do your ear piercing. It feels very like upscale, cute, um, Gen Z millennial. People all start taking their kids. It's just so it's like Claire's for adults <laughs> with, you know, not teenagers in a mall kiosk piercing your ears. Uh, so I loved it. I got two piercings and they're healing really well. They look great. They look great. I want to go. I want to go back. Or I want to go when I'm in Chicago. Well, when you're in Chicago, we'll do a piercing date. We're going to get pierced. Matching piercings. We'll get our nails done in Tokyo. We'll get piercings. Um, Birdie the dog is actually welcome at Rowan, so we can go there. She's just not welcome in the needle room. Fantastic. Okay, great. Eventually, we are (laughs) going to talk about the state of business. I don't know when. I don't know when. Uh, Now, how about now? This week, we're talking about spending. So let's. let's start let's top of the podcast let's just share what are we currently spending on fitness dana it's your birthday you get to go first (laughs) so nice so nice thank you so much um so it's interesting as gina mentioned i have a background in boutique fitness worked in fitness for almost a decade at the barcode and stride fitness which is part of exponential fitness for anyone who follows industry news um so if you know what those brands are They're great. They're cool. Um, So this is the first time in my life since I started my own company that I don't get a free membership as part of my job perk. So it's kind of allowed me some freedom in figuring out what I like to do. So currently I'm on a class pass free trial, thanks to my friend in California, Kayla. So thanks, Kayla. Um, And I am really trying to use it to find what studio I want to join. Um, I'm really loving some local studios. I live in the West Loop neighborhood of Chicago. um, And I'm loving P-Volve. I love Studio 3. I love Bare Feet Yoga. So might do a little combo play. Um, but I, and we'll get into this, you know, I used to be a membership person and now I am resolvedly a class pack person. I just feel like I have less commitment in me and I like to try multiple things. So I think class pass or a class pack combo might be the way I choose to go. Interesting. Okay, Kelly, what about you? I am a membership person. I've always been a group fitness person, but I moved to a really small town in Colorado two years ago. And so I've really and trying to figure out my new fitness routine. And I have, I'm getting there, but currently I'm spending quite a bit because as of January, I started to take CrossFit classes, which is new to me, mm. but that's really the only type of like group fitness that, that are in like smaller towns. I really feel like it's just CrossFit. So I'm paying $200 a month for CrossFit. And then I joined a big box gym 
when I first moved here and it's so cheap. It's like $35 and I need to probably cancel that. So currently I'm spending $235 a month. Mm. Okay. I like that. I actually did join that same gym for a month. Well, it was supposed to be for a month, but it was just a day, but that's a story for another time. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. And I am, I'm somewhere between the two of you. I'm sort of a, I have wanderlust when it comes to fitness. Um, but I do, I like to plant roots and then I very quickly get like commitment phobia as soon as I plant the roots. Um, so what I found that really helps me with that is Studio 3, I'm a member there, and they have the three studios. So it's super close to where I live. I also live in the West Loop of Chicago. Um, so I go to the Fulton Market location. So I have options. I have yoga. I have spin. We don't call it spin, though, because that's trademark infringement. <laughs> Cycling. And their tread studio. Um, so those three things are keeping me interested. So I haven't thought of quitting yet. Um, and then I also kept my 10 credits on ClassPass. I used to be a ClassPass member. I was hopping around, um, but I wanted to commit at the end of our studio of the month um, with Studio 3 because they offered us a discount. So all in with 10 credits on ClassPass and a Studio 3 membership at a discount after our studio of the month with them, I'm spending 200 a month, uh, which is about what I was spending on just ClassPass. But I, I like that I have a place I can go and I have access to the full schedule. So for those of you keeping score at home, Dana is currently spending nothing. Kelly is spending 235-ish, and I'm spending about 200, which I think is actually pretty representative of what we'll find in the results as we get down there. Um, okay, let's talk about what respondents are spending today. And by the way, when I say today, I'm talking about a monthly average. We look at fitness as a monthly average, and that might be an outdated statistic, honestly, because it's it's looking at more of like a membership model, but that being said, people still look at their budgets on a monthly basis. Anyway, what the heck? Uh, let's talk about the numbers. So in 2018, consumers were spending on average $71.38 per month. In 2019, they were spending on average $112 per month. Um, in 2020, they were spending on average $104.50 a month. Mid-COVID in 2020, so like let's call it summer of 2020, they were spending $42.75, our all-time low a month. In 2021, it was $48.75. And just now, at the end of 2022, they were spending $78.37 a month. So to recap that, our highest, our peak, was 2019 at $112 a month. Our low was $42.75 mid-COVID, and our current is $78.37 a month. Um, okay, let's talk about what brought us to these numbers. Why do you think we peaked in 2019? Let's start there. Dana, you want to go first or last? You want me to go? You can also call on me. It's your yes, birthday. Gina, I would call on you first. <laughs> okay, so we're going to get to this later, but I think there was a, I think there was a bit of a fitness bubble, which we'll talk about. Um, and we can define what a bubble is, all of that stuff. But um, I think we were we were sort of oversaturated, and also like behavior was was sort of changing. So people were doing a lot of variety and spending a lot on that variety. Um, I also think that was around the time when like fitness and luxury were really hand in hand. Um, so folks were looking at fitness as a luxury good and a way to like show up and show out, um, show up in your best clothes. Um, talk about like I did my soul cycle class I got my green juice afterwards like it was more of a in a lot of ways it was definitely like a healthy behavior but it also was a way to to show like 
how much you could and were spending. Um, so I think 2019 was the height of that, of fitness as a luxury good. And then obviously COVID <laughs> changed a lot, which we could talk about a lot. But let's talk about 2019. Any theories, Kelly? Well, I was thinking about my what I spent in those years. And I will say, so probably 2016 through, 20, through the end of 2019, I was very boutique fitness studio focus. So I was membership based. So I was spending quite a bit of money. 2018, 2019, I became a trainer at a studio in Chicago. So I did get membership for free, but even if I wasn't a trainer there, I think I'd still be paying that membership fee. So that aligns with me. I think, um, living in an urban setting too, there's just so many, there were so many boutique fitness studio options. And I think it was really fun and different, um, communities like a sweat life really brought studios to just like the general fitness and health enthusiasts. So I think and a sweat life was doing a ton of events. There's other communities doing a ton of events. So I think it was just an abundance of different types of fitness during that time. Yeah. Dana, what you got? Yeah, no, I completely agree. And working in the industry at that time, I mean, it was a great, it was a great time to be alive. It really was. It was. And what was nice was that, um, and it's interesting to see these numbers because even though 112 is high, you know, now we think, you know, spending 200 on a membership is very common. And I think this is also due to the fact that everyone was offering intro offers and everything was, everyone was offering discounts back then. And it is interesting. I do feel like we've started to shift away just because we're in such a recovery period in the industry of some of these intro offers offers being so aggressive and some of these class pack deals, I think that the the momentum is really to get people just latched on to a, a decently priced solid recurring membership where at back in 2018, 2019, everyone was throwing everything at the wall because they knew the consumer base was there. So they were just kind of trying a bunch of things. So I think there was also this fact of you could kind of game the system um, and you know potentially even work out for a little less money because you were getting all these free deals and promotions at all of these different studios. So it's interesting to me to see, obviously that is a high peak, but I still feel like that's maybe taking into account even seeing the slight dip before the pandemic of where that was might have been slowly decreasing. It's because there was almost an oversaturation. And I know we're going to talk about the bubble later. And I think even without COVID, we would have seen the downturn just because there was really getting to the point of peak mass saturation and people were kind of going really all in on discounts and incentives. Yeah. And that, that actually is a really good bridge to the next topic, which is fitness freebies. So what is also interesting about these spending averages is the fact that they are averages. So there's some subset of the folks who are taking this survey who are spending nothing. There's some subset of the people who are taking this survey who are spending like upwards of 500 a month. So uh, again, like that's how an average works. Um, but every year we ask a question or we include in our numbers um, people doing all of their fitness for free. So when you're filling out how much you're spending, you could include if you're doing all of your fitness for free. So we've tracked that over time too. Um, and in, as we look at sort of our numbers, the lowest amount of people doing fitness for free, uh, as long as we've been tracking it, corresponds with the highest spend. That makes perfect sense, honestly, but in 2018, 6% of all respondents were doing fitness for free. In 2019, it was 3.87% of all respondents doing fitness for free. 2020, just for before COVID, it was 8.72%. Mid-COVID, get ready, big jump, 38.74% of respondents were doing fitness for free. 2021, last summer, it was 52.95%. And now, today at the end of 2022, it's 26.23%. 
So we've returned to a similar spend, 78.37 a month on average, but people doing fitness for free have stayed really high. So I think what that kind of goes to show is the people who are spending are spending more um, to, because the people who aren't spending and have found like free activities are obviously spending a lot less. Um, but let's talk about kind of what could be leading people to be doing all this fitness for free. I know we can think about like what they have at home. Dana, any theories? I think digital fitness has, it was definitely something that I think a lot of companies leaned into really hard early on in COVID. Um, and not that a lot, not that every product that was put out was inferior, but a lot of them were kind of last ditch efforts and ways to get things online. And then I think as studio memberships started to come back, these virtual and digital components kind of fell off these brands' radars, and people are really able to kind of do those super, super low cost, potentially even free. Um, and then, you know, things like running, things like, um, you know, a, the ability to work out on your own that people were forced to get a little more creative and resourceful during COVID. I think a lot of that created that behavioral change that you were talking about, Gina, and has led people to. I think that consumers are savvier, especially now, and I'm sure we'll get into it even deeper about where they're spending their money. And so, you know, if there are things they can do for free, I, I still think that that's somewhere that consumers are leaning towards. Yeah. What do you think, Kelly? Uh, I would agree. Also, I mean, I know, we'll, I know we'll talk about this in a later episode, but walking is like the number one fit, fitness activity and, and that's free. Mm-hmm. So <laughs> that correlates right there. I think also just... Uh, People, there was so much different variety of digital and in-person, just the variety of ways to uh, have some kind of physical activity in your life has really kind of spread the, I don't know, financial, not burden, but like your price point, I think. Whereas before there was really only like so many options and they were all around the same price point. Now there's like so many different price points and lots of free ways to work out. Yeah. And I also think, I think looking at the numbers too, like obviously people adapted to the changes and adopted new habits. We saw that reflected in the amount of people who were using their, their gyms at home. Um, so a lot of our survey respondents, because of a lot of our readers are in large urban markets. Um, and a lot of those folks, if they live in apartment buildings or condos, have access to a hotel or a hotel, a home gym um, or a mm-hmm. condo gym. And before COVID, we had a a large number of our respondents who told us that they don't use that amenity ever. Um, And during and after COVID, we saw that number go way up. So I think obviously that amenity became really important and also uh, is looked at as free. Although you're paying for it with like your apartment fee, um, it's accessible, it's there, it's included. Um, So you're not paying for it on a recurring basis outside of your rent. Um, So I think Folks have learned how through maybe like either boutique fitness education, so going to classes, paying attention to how their trainers programmed before the pandemic, or um, through digital fitness, a lot of people are using like programs like Ladies Who Lift and others in the gym too. So they're doing something that's actually good for them, (laughs) makes sense for their body, or even things like Nike Training Club, et cetera. Um, So people are using resources in home gyms. 
um, to stay fit and keep moving, but they look at that as free. Uh, because in a lot of ways it is, but it's it costs money to be alive and be a human being, but I don't want to break that down because it's depressing. <laughs> All right. Uh, anything else to add before we get back to the gym? Mm-mm. For the listener at home, Kellyanne Dana shook her head no. This <laughs> does not translate. This does not translate. This podcast was brought to you by Puma Running, and we love to see Puma-powering athletes across the world run farther, faster, and achieve their goals. When she's hitting the trails around Boulder, Colorado, or chasing her next Olympic medal, Jenny Simpson trusts Puma to keep her moving forward and injury-free as she's training to run fast and far. And we trust Puma Running to power our community too. 200 of Sweat Life Ambassadors just received the Puma Deviate Nitro 2 or the Puma Velocity Nitro 2. I'm running in the Puma Deviate Nitro 2 these days and they are comfortable without sacrificing performance. Want to learn more? Visit asweatlife.com backslash Puma. That's A-S-W-E-A-T-L-I-F-E dot com backslash P-U-M-A. Uh, okay, return to gym. At the end of 2022, 66.79% of respondents had returned to an indoor gym or studio. And in 2021, that number was 36.23%. So that's about close to half of what it was this year. Do you, Kelly and Dana, think we'll ever get back to 100%? Why or why not? Dana, let's start with you. I hate to be a Debbie Downer, but but no. <laughs> um, I think that the world, you know, the fitness industry, but the world and just, you know, again, our behavior has changed so much in some ways forever from COVID, um, just from living through a pandemic and from having to be resourceful and f- figure out different ways. I think it just kind of changed the trajectory of things. I also think that whether or not COVID had happened, we would have hit a bubble and that we would have seen a decrease in the industry anyway. Um, But, you know, I really do think that anyone who was going to go back to fitness did this year. Like, I I would say that 2022 felt the most, the furthest away from COVID that we felt. Um, And, you know, I, I think that I would be surprised if people were making the decision now all of a sudden to go back to the gym if they hadn't already been exploring that option. Okay. One, one woman's opinion. Kelly, what you got? (laughs) I don't think we'll hit 100%, but I do think the number will increase. Maybe it's just because I'm a group fitness fanatic and that's what, where I want to see the numbers go. So it's that's where I'm thinking. But I also, yes, people's routines change, but I think also a lot of people have moved in the past couple of years. And I think people are still trying to figure out their routine. Like I've been in Colorado now two years, just finally found like the gym I'm really excited about and I want to spend money at. So I don't know. I, I want to be positive about it because I love group fitness and I, I love studio fitness. So I'm going to say not 100%, but I, I think that number is going to keep growing this year. Like it. I like it. Two opinions. Um, okay, so here's where I'm at. I think that there's an analog here to return to work, uh, return to office. Mm-hmm. So I, I think that we'll never get 100% back to office either. And it's not because... The office was bad. I think it's because behavior has changed and work has changed. Uh, I think that's the same for fitness. Like we have fewer fitness studios open, which we'll talk about. Um, so f- f- less access. Um, we have people who've ad- adopted new habits. Um, so have changed their behavior and they realize like, oh, I'm not commuting. So maybe 
um, spending on that gym close to the office doesn't make sense, or it, I save time by doing a 30-minute workout at home um, instead of going to the gym, whatever it may be, we have a hybrid work model and we have a hybrid workout model now. And I, I think that that will keep us kind of in this, um, this zone where a certain percent of people are, are going to go all in on returning to gym because they, their friends are there and they love it and they can't believe they ever lived without it. And then we're going to have a certain percent of people who are like, never, no, no, no. Um, probably like, I, I would call it like 20% uh, of people will be like, mm, I can't believe I ever went to a gym. And then the, the middle of folks who are doing a mix now found that they're spending less. They have like a routine they really love. Um, and maybe like the days they work from home, they go to a boutique fitness class. That's my thought on this. And I think the data kind of supports it. But we again, like data is not, we can predict based on data, but consumer behavior can change in a blink of an eye, as we saw with COVID. So if in a day we find out that there's a magic light that transports us anywhere we go, we want to go. <laughs> we can travel on a magic light. I think boutique fitness and gyms come back 100%. That's great. I love it. <laughs> I would love that magic light in my life. <laughs> Kelly, what would you do with it? What the fuck are we talking about? <laughs> I was like, what? We just went to a different dimension. I don't know. Yeah, we could go to you go to like Ant Man Land. I haven't watched that movie yet, but I'm really excited for it. Anyway, <laughs> anyway, let's talk about boutique fitness and big box. Okay, first up, boutique. In 2019, I love that I gave Kelly like a hardball question. I know that should have come to Dana. Dana, Dana's more quick on her toes. I didn't prep for this. I did not prep for a magic light. No. no. (laughs) Okay. Boutique fitness. In 2019, 67.2% told us that they did boutique fitness as a part of their routine. And 8.2% told us that they worked out with a personal trainer. Cut to today. That question changed a little bit. So the data is blended, but 63.75% of respondents work out indoors and in person at a group fitness class or with a personal trainer at least once a week. So we're not going back to pre-pandemic numbers, and I want your theories on boutique. I think we kind of touched on it, but anything anything else of note when it comes to boutique fitness? Dana, you first. So this is going to be something that I'll talk more about when we talk about big box, but I do think in this, I'm in marketing. I was a you know senior VP and chief marketing officer at both my former companies. So I've led you know these high level marketing campaigns and I think the pandemic marketing matters and still mattered. And I think the differentiation that big box and boutique studios made kind of stuck in consumer mindsets, at least in my point of view. And I think that it's interesting that, you know, Boutique was going all towards, you know, hey, you get to make a reservation, you can choose your spot. So it that safety, there is the distancing, but I think the fact that they're confined spaces creates almost this fear, you know, feels like it would be safer, quote unquote, to go to a big box gym. And to their point, big box gyms lean really far into their messaging of these open air, you know, the the big space. And I think the ability to kind of work out independently and still space yourselves out, you know, whether or not. COVID and the fear of COVID is still the main driver of some of these behaviors. I do think that big box came away feeling quote unquote safer than boutique fitness and and that kind of stuck in some of the consumer mindsets. Interesting. Kelly, what do you think? Like with boutique fitness studios, uh, like I said, I think we're going to see I do think we're going to see those numbers increase. And the reason I say that is we talk to a lot of studios 
like all the time. And for example, uh, we just talked to Club Platties and we were talking about doing um, a programming with them. And they're like, we're, our classes are full in Chicago, which that's incredible. Um, so, I mean, even like a few months ago, I would say that wouldn't be the case. So I feel like classes, boutique fitness studios, classes are, they're getting filled, especially in certain markets. Um, so I don't know. I think the number is going to keep going up. <laughs> yeah. And I think a couple of formats in particular are filling too, just especially based on our numbers, like low impact, mm-hmm. strength, um, and uh, I'm blanking on what else. We yoga. Thank you. Yoga. Low impact strength and yoga really came back strong. Um, and those, those classes, I think those numbers in boutique fitness will continue going up. Um, piggybacking off of what both of you said, but what, what Dana said that really like jogged a memory, like I covered this. I talked about the economics of, uh, boutique fitness versus big bat box like years ago. Um, and what's interesting is big box, what used to be it's weakness or perceived weakness that often big box gyms made money off of attrition. So you like, you spend money on a monthly membership, they way oversell memberships and they hope you don't come in. Um, so that they aren't like overselling their space. And then on the flip side, boutique fitness, they make money off of packing as many bodies into a small space as possible. I broke down like the square footage of a soul cycle studio and how many humans and bikes fit into it. And soul cycle, for example, like each bike takes up six square feet, two by three. Um, so if you think about that on a, on a, like a grand scale, like I, the amount I want to do a cycling class where everyone is packed in like sardines these days, even still, like, even though I don't have the fear of, of COVID and catching it, like I'm, I I don't want to do that as much as I used to. Um, It's not as appealing because of all of those like learned fears that we had, avoiding people on the street, wearing masks, et cetera. Uh, So that's really interesting to think about too. All right, let's talk about Big Box. Um, Big Box has rebounded. (laughs) So in 2019, based on our numbers, um, in 2019, respondents told us that 41.1% of all survey respondents worked out at a Big Box gym at least once a week. Compare that today, and the number is exactly the same, 41%. Work out indoors and on their own at a local gym at least one day a week. Theories. Dana, give it to me. Well, and I mean, this feels like the biggest mass generalization I'm ever going to make, so I apologies for anyone I potentially offend with this. I challenge you. (laughs) But I do feel like there might just be even a slight political discrepancy in the type of people that belong to big box gym versus a boutique fitness studio or just maybe where you identify. And I do think that might be a slight impact again for COVID, thinking that maybe the people, again, such a mass generalization here, and I don't mean to offend anyone, but maybe the people that were gravitating towards big box gyms prior to COVID were the ones feeling less vulnerable or less impacted by COVID. And you did see an impact. Um, You know, I I feel like we have more boutique fitness studios and big box gyms even in the city, you know, and and, in urban areas. So I think the urban areas were a little slower in getting back and rebounding to life in general. So I do think that that might be an interesting way that the data is splicing. Um, I do think also that to amend some of my previous statements that I said about kind of having hardline stances of things not recovering, I do agree more with what Kelly is saying that I do think we will see still a rebound in the industry just because I do think more and more, especially with Gen Z and younger consumers, the gravitation towards community and wanting something to like latch onto that's 
if they're going to spend their money, they want to spend it on local or community-driven organizations. So I do think that that's going to continue to spike the numbers. And I, I again, we don't, maybe I don't have the data necessarily to support this, but I feel like younger audiences um, are going to gravitate more towards boutique fitness than big box gyms. Interesting. Okay. Hot take given Hot take. No, no data to back that A up. Psychographic guess. <laughs> All right, Kelly, what do you think? I think TikTok is helping gym, big box gyms. I think the TikTok gym girlies are, there's the way, I think there's way more females in the strength mm. uh, section of a big box gym than ever before. And I don't know if that's just what I'm seeing on social media, but I think if you're interested in doing strength, uh, you're going to a big box gym and you're following someone on TikTok that's showing you a program. And I think it's happening a lot. Um, so I think that will continue to increase too. Cause I don't know, that's my whole TikTok feed, not the whole, but like when it comes to like fitness, that's what I'm seeing. Like these hot, like TikTok girlies at the gym lifting. Yeah. Uh, we talked <laughs> so I, mean, I totally, we talked to, um, world gym, I'm going to get it wrong. I always, I always swap World Gym and Gold's Gym. It was one of them. They come out of the same founder. Here we go. Um, but they talked about how um, they've created like a booty boulevard is what they call it, which I cringe at the name, but whatever. Um, and it was developed predominantly for female members who wanted more and more to lift for a butt. Um, so strength training, to Kelly's point, is happening more and more women are doing it. Big box gyms really give you the, the tools to kind of do it on your own, especially because we have the content and support to do it on our own. Um, so this, this also could be part of the hybrid model too. So folks could be doing like some of their workouts in a low cost, high volume gym, um, and then a couple workouts as a treat in a boutique fitness studio. I think, I think that's also like a hybrid model we could look towards too. Mm-hmm. The things we could ask our audience. Okay. So let's talk about the bubble. We've been alluding to it throughout. Let's get to it. Today, a quarter of gyms have closed their doors as a result of COVID. And those numbers, I will quote, but it comes from somewhere. God damn it. And I think (laughs) (laughs) it'll be in the show notes. Um, So pre-pandemic, I worried that we were in a fitness bubble and with supply that was way outpacing demand. Do we think that today the market has right-sized? I hate to even say like right-sized because that makes anyone who is a casualty of this feel like they were meant to be a casualty of this. However, I don't have another word. <laughs> so so um, let's talk about it. Were we in a bubble and is it over? Dana, you go first. So I am going to use a lot of data that from working in my old company. My old company was a, and it's a company that we still work with. We have a great relationship with. So love Exponential Fitness. But their whole model was that they had built Club Pilates and basically replicated that model in creating several other fitness franchises. And something that was interesting that I personally saw during that timeline of, you know, the 2019 to 2020 shift, even before COVID or early in COVID when that wasn't the impact, was almost kind of like natural selection. You know, some studios, some studio owners, a lot of boutique fitness is franchised. And with that, you know, some people are fantastic in that industry and that is their passion and they put everything into it. Some people view it as a secondary source of income and don't really put the effort into it that warrants, you know, driving that community. And so I do think that some of that drop-off that came during COVID um, was 
almost just a survival of the fittest of if you were already a low performing studio, if you were already a studio that kind of wasn't hitting your metrics, those were the first casualties that we saw across Exponential personally. Um, and I, so I do think that that was a big driver of it is almost if you weren't doing it great, you, it kind of, that was a big elimination. And I think that that would have happened no matter what. I mean, I think COVID definitely accelerated that, but I think in general, you know, when you start, when consumers start to have a ton of choice, when they start to see different quality, you know, when they're starting to compare studios against each other, when there starts to be such an over, oversaturation of an industry. And we saw certain, you know, boxing studios and cycle studios that were, I mean, there was two on each street, you know, and you could really compare, you know, minutely, you know, what you wanted. I think just, you know, quality over quantity. And I do think that that's where we're headed in the industry and what, what, again, COVID accelerated it, but I think that was always going to happen because with more choice, consumers get choosier. And so I think that it was just always bound to happen. And again, COVID just kind of accelerated. So I don't know if, you know, the market is fully right-sized yet, but I do think that if you're going, you're not going to open a boutique fitness studio at the moment, like post COVID or during COVID, unless that is a passion of yours, unless that's something that you are willing to put effort into. And I think that that's been a big driver is that, you know, we're starting to see just less gyms open, but quality gyms open and people, you know, taking that leap for the first time to open studios and open local gyms. Um, so I still think that's a great investment into the fitness industry. I think it's a great industry, but, but I do think that there's less of that, uh, that bubble. Ooh. All right. A lot. Oh, I like, and I also like that you provided the, the, uh, industry side because yes. we can yes. speak a lot to the consumer side. Kelly, what you got? Yeah. I think it was sad to see so many studios close. I think that studios that did well and made it through and are still thriving really focused on community. Like they had loyal members. uh, They did stuff outside of the gym. They really cultivated like a a family type uh, experience. And I think that that just provides you're you're just going to be a little bit more loyal to a studio. So I think, I think there's still new studios popping up and I, I do think about them as they're, trying to market, um, and trying to build community can be really tough. So I don't know what the stat is. I'm like, is fitness studios a similar stat as restaurants? Like, you know, like so many restaurants usually fail. I don't know what the stat is on fitness studios. Do we're we know gonna, that? We'll look that up and put that in the show notes too, because that's a good question. Uh, yeah. I think it's like 90% of restaurants fail. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I think, I think, uh, studios that really focus on community, you know, did well, did well. And I think that, uh, studios will continue to do well that focus on that. And I think consumers will spend money there. And I think they will spend money on experiences like fitness, wellness experiences. I, I'm curious about travel, like wellness retreats and travel. I, I was, I was thinking that was kind of on a rise, but now with like the economy, I'm not sure. We'll talk about it in the in the predictions episode. So a lot of our survey respondents talked about wellness, travel, and, and retreats, but they also talked about the economy. <laughs> so, yeah. so I think that there's a subset of folks who are going to spend on wellness retreats and travel, but there's a certain subset who are going to like hold uh, and try not to spend at all. I don't know. I don't know. Inflation, egg prices, etc. Oh my God, the eggs. <laughs> yeah, the eggs. Uh, I know. I have a friend who posted like this really artistic picture on Instagram of like 
eggs in a bowl and like cracked eggshells on the other side and I just responded like flippantly like ooh ballin yeah like in this eggs <laughs> and she said like I had no idea how controversial this post would be because apparently she got like so many messages like that I thought it was so creative <laughs> so it used to be a uh, boutique fitness class is how we showed our wealth and now it's eggs omelets eggs brown eggs specifically <laughs> All right, I'm gonna have to give an opinion here. Uh, bubble, bubble, bubble. I think we were in a bubble, um, and the data for exercise type will tell us more about why. But I can kind of preview that. Uh, we'll talk about that next week on the podcast. What consumers are doing and how much. Um, but what I can say is that in our state of fitness survey, we allow respondents to select as many exercise types. Uh, as they would like, as they are actually doing as a part of their routine. And so you sort of see the total volume of the percentages go down year over year. So what I mean by that is in 2018, for example, we saw all the percentages for everything from running to strength to hit to cycling up across the board. Um, but if you look at those um, compared to other years, the top three or four exercise types were the same. Um, it's just that people were reducing the number of things that they were doing. So they weren't saying yes to as many exercise types in real life and on our survey, um, which tells me that they were either committing or spending less um, too. So what, what I would guess, what I would venture to guess uh, is that consumers were experimenting um, with new studios to the space, with extremely varied routines in 2017 and 2018. And that started to cool in 2019 as we started to learn more about strength and strength training um, through the education we were getting from the programs um, and also through studio fitness and injuries and understanding our bodies. Um, so we're watching consumers tell us that they're doing less, but they're doing the same amount of exercise. Uh, but fewer types of exercise. So that, that would just mean that we're spending on, on fewer things. To Dana's point, we're specializing. We're picking a few. It's the survival of, of our fittest, our best and brightest. Um, so there is space for everyone, but not everyone is going to do everything anymore. That's my answer. We were in a bubble. We're doing less, but we're doing the same amount. <laughs> and now it's time for show and tell. Let's share a tip, a resource, or an article for fitness spending and on the state of fitness today. Dana, you're up first. So I read this Pop Sugar article that I really liked. I love POV style articles that we have. Tons of those on sweatlife.com also, but I like to do other research and see other, scour other sites. We read all, uh, we all read, We read everything. Um, and so this one was in particular, and I think something that we touched on kind of on here, and I think we'll continue in further episodes, just like the emotional connection that we have with fitness and how much that changed during COVID. And this article kind of resonated with me because it was about um, a younger woman who started going to Pilates classes with mostly women in their 70s to 90s and felt tremendous strength and kind of rehealed her relationship with fitness through that. And I think that there's something in that, in that a lot of people felt less, you know, weaker after COVID or, you know, just less in shape. And I think that that psychological and emotional feelings that we had towards fitness also really impacted, have impacted kind of how slow that return has been and that some people might not 
rebound and are wanting to work out at home because maybe they don't feel comfortable in a studio anymore. So I think that also the fact that we're not all in the same fitness levels we were at before fit, before COVID um, is a huge impact. So I thought this was a nice article. We'll link it in the show notes. Um, and again, just, just kind of thinking through, like, I guess my takeaway is that there is no like right way to rebound after COVID. Like I think that I thought I was going to go back to studios a lot faster than I actually did. And I do, I go to concerts, I travel, I, I'm not afraid of COVID in my day-to-day life, but there is still something weird about for me. I used to be a cycle diehard and I rarely go to cycle classes, you know, something about the dark room, the lights, the music, instead of making me feel good, it makes me feel kind of anxious. So I just think there's a lot of emotional and psychological effects of COVID and just living through the pandemic that have also impacted our return to fitness. Mm, deep. <laughs> I would love grandmother energy. Oh, I same. I mean, also same. Yeah. I'm actually open to adopt a grandmother. Mm-hmm. So if you are a grandmother who is looking or a person of that, um, I can start wearing age, a lot of layers, a lot of flowy layers around you. Okay. That will help. You could be my grandma. Great. Um, Kelly, what is your show and tell? So this is a shameless plug, but, uh, Join, become an Swell Life ambassador. Oh, oh great. <laughs> it's $15 a month or 150 for the year. So way under what people are spending on average. What you get access to a studio each month. We do goal for our programs. Like you get so much variety. I mean, <laughs> if you're trying to, if you're trying to be on a budget and want to make friends and do cool shit, mm-hmm. I'm sorry, I said shit. You can um, like, we all said shit. <laughs> uh, <laughs> Become an Inspire Life ambassador. By the way, Dina, you have that fitness perk. <laughs> I do. I do. And when I said earlier that I don't get to work out for free, and yeah, I still do through a sweat life. So that is very true. And that's that's why I'm only doing my free class pass trial in February and I moved back over a year and a half ago. <sighs> okay, fair. Fine, fine, fine. I was like, I am personally offended. <laughs> no, I just forget things. Wait a minute. Okay. Uh, my show and tell. I was like, what's the shameless plug? What's it going to be? I get it. I get it. Uh, My show and tell is, okay, so my body, um, the software platform that powers like most studios, you know and love, um, they create a wellness index um, that's different from ours because it includes data from studios. So they partner with ClassPass because they own ClassPass. So it's my body data, ClassPass data, and then they also ask consumers um, questions too. So it has similar insights to ours, but different. Um, It includes findings like on days they work from home, professionals are twice as likely to try out a new fitness class. So I think that's really interesting um, to dig into other people's data too. And also like that tracks for me. Uh, Mm -hmm. I work from home every day, but but having more time and less commuting really does open you up for for more and more things. Mm -hmm. We're ready to share something we're loving to close it out? Oh, yeah. Dana, you go first. What's something you're loving this week? So I'm a Trader Joe's diehard. I will. I love everything Trader Joe's, but my recent obsession is their instant boba kit. Um, not only is it like some of the best boba because it's like a brown sugar boba, but it's so easy. You literally put this little thing in the microwave, then you just mix in like your favorite milk of choice. It's it's vegan, so if you use oat milk, the whole thing is vegan. It takes like 30 seconds to make this thing and you get brown sugar boba tea whenever you want it. And they come with the straws, the big, thick big straws. Straw? I was like, and they come with four in a pack. It's like $3. So, I mean, Trader Joe's, this is not sponsored, but you can sponsor me anytime because everything you do is literally amazing. They don't sponsor anyone. I know, they don't. Every time we get the fearless drink. flyer in the mail, I'm like, Justin, my husband, Justin, did you know that this is the only marketing that they do? And he's like, yes, Gina, I know this is the only marketing that they do. It's Tell astonishing. Me this every week. It's astonishing. <laughs> They're 
They're amazing. Kelly, what's something you're loving this week? Well, just to bring this full circle of my what's good in the beginning, my we just got a text message that my friend had a baby boy, and his name's what? Sydney. I love Sydney for a That's full so cute. cute. Um, I oh, love that so much. Welcome, baby Sydney. I know. And fun fact, I actually met my friend Mary, who lives in my town, through A Sweat Life. We didn't meet in Chicago, but we met in our small town, and that's just the crazy connection. But now she has a baby. I love it. I love that you met the baby the day before they were born. We met the valley. <laughs> you met the valley. But, like, you were right there, basically. Yeah. <laughs> in my head, I made a joke that would have started us down. A, a oh, no. Path. It's like your magic light joke. <laughs> yeah, the magic light was reasonable. <laughs> <laughs> if we could travel on a magic light, I would, life would be exponentially better. Okay, something I'm loving this week. I actually have been stalling because I can't think of what mine is. I would actually say like podcasting in person with Dana. Oh, this is, is so the, fun. Is the thing I'm loving this week. Friendship is the thing I'm loving this week. I also am in like a, an extremely good mood. Um, it's only Tuesday. Love it. But I think it's going to hold. So good mood, friendship, fun. Friendship, fitness, fun. This has been another episode of We Got Goals, which is in a sweatlife.com production. Thanks to all our listeners for liking, subscribing, and listening wherever you get your podcasts. Thanks to Ryan Deffitt for editing and to Ryan Barayuga for video production. Thanks to Kelly and Dana for joining me today and to everybody who took the State of Fitness survey. We appreciate your insights and intelligence. Thanks. Bye. Okay, thank you. Bye. Bye.